Welcome to the Money Makers Podcast, brought to you by Sophia. Sophia is an exciting new education platform for women with a goal to increase diversity and inclusion in early stage investing. This podcast is a finance, innovation, and investing show for amazing women everywhere of all ages. Each fortnight, we will feature an inspiring woman, and this week, two inspiring women from the investing and finance sector or a female founder with a special focus on Asia. Our guests today are Kalsum Lakhani and Mizba Nakvi. Welcome to the show, ladies. Thanks for having Thank us. Thank you. Thank you. Before we jump straight in to the myriad of questions that I have for you, can we just start with a, a quick introduction um, from you both, a little bit about your backgrounds? Perhaps we'll start with you, Kalsum. Sure. Thanks for having us, Sonia. So Kulsum, um, co-founders with MISPA and general partners on IDI Ventures, early stage venture capital funds. I My quick background is that prior to launching our fund, which we opened the doors to in August 2019, I've been the founder of invest to innovate which is our sister company to the fund. Um, it's a company that I founded 10 years ago, a little over 10 years ago now, um, and, and was one and has been one of the earliest players in the Pakistan startup ecosystem. Started really as a support player for startups. We launched the country's first startup accelerator program back in 2012, um, have now scaled that vertical considerably um, through partnerships of programs that we run with players like Facebook and the World Bank and the IFC. So have not only trained hundreds of entrepreneurs through those partnerships, but also have trained over 40 incubators and accelerators throughout the region, have built out a research arm of our work as players were looking outside into Pakistan, realizing that good research and good mar- and good data was very important for that. And all that body of work was really what started to form the thesis around our fund and why we decided to uh, launch an early stage venture capital fund. That's really where we saw the gap. I think that with the DNA of the accelerator, it's why our intervention is where it is, but also what we do after the deal is done, I think is really informed by that. And then obviously them being sister companies, which I no longer run um, Invest to Innovate today, uh, but it's actually now run by one of our past founders and she's amazing and has been a really great CEO. Um, But there's a lot of obviously symbiosis between the two, obviously a lot of really great access to pipeline companies that we meet that may be too early. We can send to one of our programs on that side, as well as the fact that our research team helps to inform our strategy uh, with IDI Ventures, but also can work really closely with our portfolio companies. So just, uh, you know, that body of work, my background kind of working with startups and also being a founder myself is kind of what led me to this journey on the fund. And I'll let Ms. share more about herself. Thank you, Kelsey. Can I just ask, where are you based? So I'm in Washington, D.C. Uh, that's actually been my base for since I started Eye to Eye, the sister company. And so I sound totally American, uh, but was actually born in Dubai and then was raised between Bangladesh and Pakistan. My mom is Bangladeshi. My dad is Pakistani. So I spent my elementary school years in Dhaka and then in Islamabad, Pakistan, which is now still home for me. Um, so I go back and forth. Um, between here and Pakistan. Um, my career actually started in foreign policy, which is why I moved to DC, why most people move to DC. Um, I got my graduate degree in foreign policy um, and started my career in that and then realized um, and have actually used my conflict resolution master's degree much, much more efficiently, actually, in negotiations and how we operate <laughs> as investors in a really hard market. So I've, it's, it's at least come to use because at, at first I was definitely grieving the fact that I never used my master's degree, but but that's kind of the background and the lead up to, you know, launching 
my, the sister companies. So I don't have a traditional background in finance or, you know, don't have an MBA, um, but come from, you know, my dad is a serial entrepreneur. I come from a very business entrepreneurial family. So I think through osmosis definitely have that in me, um, which is what led me to, you know, being a founder in the first place. Um, and so that's, and it's a very nonlinear journey, but it's what led me to where we are today. I love it. Thank you. And over to you, Mispa. Thanks, Tanya. Great to be here with you. So I, I'm going to share a little bit about my journey, and I think it'll hopefully help you see why Kusum and I are such good partners, because we do complement each other uh, quite well. So I basically grew up in Pakistan. Uh, I did do my MBA here back in the days when, when MBAs were, were still considered cool and, and important. Uh, and I started working in, in banking with Citibank in Pakistan. So did transaction banking, did, did corporate banking, managed a large loan book for several large multinationals. And a few years in, just realized it was banking was not something I wanted to pursue as a career long term. And so I moved into an alternate role within the bank in public affairs um, and also a sort of chief of staff role with the CEO, where I got a chance to see, get a more holistic overview on the banking sector in Pakistan from a regulatory perspective, um, as well as from a communications perspective. Um, I left City to join Acumen, which is a venture fund uh, based on uh, which invests through a double bottom line approach. So it's basically raises philanthropic money and invests in social entrepreneurs solving big problems across the world. Uh, this was very early days of impact investing, definitely very early in Pakistan. But what excited me about that was an opportunity to use my finance skills um, towards an area which had been you know, relatively underlooked uh, from a development perspective, which was sustainable development. And so uh, that gave me an opportunity to understand mass markets in a way that I hadn't had at Citibank um, and really got a chance to understand the issues around access to goods and services that people in large economies such as ours and relatively less developed areas such as Pakistan actually face. Uh, so with Acumen, I was with them in Pakistan for a few years, moved to New York with them. Um, and then eventually I joined a fintech startup. So even though I was not uh, the, one of the founders, I was very early on the founding team. You know, basically we had 2.5 people when I joined. So I was a second and a half employee and uh, gave me an appreciation for what life is like on the founding side um, and really, uh, you know, got to learn more about fintech, but also learned more about emerging markets, frontier markets and how hard it is to build in places like these. Um, and in the meantime, I've been Kulsum's, on Kulsum's board of advisors for I2I, the sister company to the fund, which she started a decade ago, which she just mentioned. So that gave me an insight into the startup side of things uh, in the Pakistan context as well. So I think similar to Kulsum, my path is also nonlinear, um, but everything I seem to have done has, has led me to, to where I am today in some ways uh, and informs who I am as an investor I did not grow up with an entrepreneurial family. My father was in the military, so very different kind of background in terms of exposure. But really glad that Kusum and I found our way to doing this together because I think, um, you know, we, we bring different things to the table and, and definitely uh, sort of leverage each other's experiences. Yeah, fantastic. And what was the catalyst for the two of you coming up with the, the VC fund as an idea? Was this something that brought the two of you together, a shared vision, a shared passion for something that really sort of aligned you both because it's not a small undertaking, is it? <laughs> I, I think I wish someone told us it was, it was such a big undertaking. Yeah. Um, no. So I think it was kind of more from earlier on from my side, um, you know, Danya having worked with, uh, you know, early stage startups for such a long time and also local angels in the market 
Boxana as a startup ecosystem has recently really taken off. But even when we were conceptualizing the fund, um, we just saw the early stage capital gap as something that was just very apparent. And as well as the fact that the players that were there to plug that gap were just mostly local that were very vulture instead of venture, just taking a lot of equity up front. We just saw a lot of, you know, really onerous terms. And I just saw really good companies die and good companies die every day. Right. But I don't think it's, they should die because of bad investors. So that's really was the impetus behind it. I think our experience, um, you know, the vantage point that we had having kind of been a founder helping founders for so long, um, and having been so close to it, we built such a strong network and a brand in the market. And I think, you know, originally we were introducing our startups to investors. And I think one day it was kind of like, why not us? Um, you know, because we actually have like quite a good vantage point as well as a good perspective on what needs to be done, especially after the deal. And so Mispa actually, as Mispa mentioned, she was on my advisory board. Um, we've been friends for about 14 years and she was actually trying to take a sabbatical from she'd been working for 25 years and was like, had just told me over dinner one night, she was like, you know, I'm like, I'm going to take some time off. I think she definitely imagined that, you know, cocktails on a beach somewhere, like some really great, you know, very chilled out <laughs> nights. And um, I immediately realized I was like, you know, I can't do this. First of all, I can't do this on my own. And second of all, Miss Buzz's background and who she is, and especially the fact that we just have a lot of mutual trust and respect for each mm -hmm. other would make her such a good partner for me. And so I think I literally at dinner, she was trying to tell me that, that she was about to take time off. And instead of it, cheering her on for that, I was like, you should join me on this fund that I'm building. <laughs> and that is how it came about. And I think she really thought I was joking at the time. And then I, I remember I got back to where I was staying that night and literally messaged her immediately. I was like, I think you think I'm joking. And I, I definitely <laughs> was not joking. So you need to think about this. Um, and I think so. I think Miss Bahar said sabbatical was like supposed to be a year. I think it was like two or three months. And so it was a failed sabbatical, but it got her on the journey. So I don't know, Miss, if you want to share more about your thinking around. No, that. that's well, that is very accurate in terms of how it happened. I think for me, it's just the, the mutual trust that Kusum talked about. You know, we'd been talking about the space for so long. We'd be, we worked together as Kusum was building, uh, you know, the, the accelerator company as well. Um, and I think there was that mutual trust and understanding. Um, I know it's always really hard and we acknowledge this because obviously we look at founders all the time from an investment perspective. We acknowledge how hard it is to find a co-founder that clicks and also how hard it is to go out looking for one. And I can say uh, that, you know, Kusum did have uh, a few other candidates that she looked at, considered, spoken to, got started with, and, and things really didn't work out. And I think for us, the more we dug into what that could mean, uh, after, of course, she did proposition me, <laughs> and uh, once we, but once we started having a more serious conversation and dug a little bit more into what that could mean for us, I think we realized how excited we were to do, do this together and how we could build on our mutual trust and respect. And and I think it might, you know, it's just it's something you can call it gender, you can call it uh, how we connect as people, who we are. But I think there was definitely a, a mutual respect and understanding and love that this grew out of. That's an amazing story, backstory. Like, I love that. Quite the difference between cocktails on a beach in Cuba. Um, <laughs> launching a fund is, as I said, no small feat, um, especially your first time fund, and especially as female fund managers as well. Mm -hmm. um, and especially Pakistan. <laughs> and it's, yeah. it's like we chose, we decided to choose all the hard boxes to, yeah. to, to tick. 
Yeah. And I have questions on every single one of those points. Before we jump into that, I wanted to just comment around finding your co-founder. And and I I think that you you obviously, Ms. Bo, you obviously saw something in in Kalsum in in the same way that Kalsum saw in you. It might not have been what you had planned for the next year, but you could recognize those alignment of values and shared visions, et cetera, and is super hard to find the right people Mm -hmm. to work to go into business with. So when that, you know, when those people come along, I think, you know, we have to jump at that with both feet because Mm. it is incredibly hard. I've had some terrible stories in the past, my own and that I've invested in. It really is though, like a work in progress, right? Um, Tanya, like, I feel like, you know, with it is, I mean, we have so much mutual trust and respect for each other. So I think that's also when we have, but also Ms. Ben are very, we're very communicative, which I think is really great. And so I think I've noticed this because we, you know, it is like a marriage, right? Like, and I, yeah. I do think about it like a marriage because you have to be openly open and honest with each other, even sometimes when it's hard. And so, you know, I think both of us really, because we respect the partnership so much and respect each other so much, I think you do each other the service of when you're upset, we talk through it. Like it is always a, like a work in progress and a, in a relationship that's dynamic and always evolving. Yeah. And I think that's something that both Ms. Ben and I mm-hmm. come at this with. So yeah. I think that's important to remember. I think uh, for me, it's your point about making the decision. I think because we already had so much mutual trust and understanding for me, the decision was less about whether or not I do this with Kusum, but whether or not I do it at all. Yeah. It's not an area that I had self-selected into. So while Kusum had been thinking about this and setting, looking to set up a fund for a while, it's not something that I had even thought about. I, I had thought I'd take a step back and figure out what comes next. And so for me, the decision was not whether it's her. For me, the decision was, is this what I want to do next? Yeah. Um, I think for me, the Kusum question was a given uh, yes. just because of the relationship we were building off of. And again, also acknowledging that uh, most people don't have that, right? You don't always have someone in your orbit who you yes. feel would be right for what you want to do next. I think we were lucky in that sense. And also that, you know, we were we were talking through things and and because we had that comfort level, Michael Soon could just, as we were talking through it, she just kind of mentioned it in the phone, in a conversation at dinner. It's not something that she had thought about for months before and weighed the pros and cons. And it's just, she's right when she went back and she kind of said, I was serious and I do want you to think about it seriously. You know, I was like, okay, Maybe this is actually something I should think about. So I think it's it's that it was a little spontaneous on her side, but also not necessarily coming out of nowhere because we had that relationship yeah. um, as well. And then for me, the question was, is this what I want to do next? And am I, I mean, mm-hmm. I think as women, we often have imposter syndrome and we often don't self-select into things. So for me, it was a bit intimidating to think I could be a VC. Like, what does it even mean? Like, am I even qualified? And I think through that process of what Kusum and I then spoke about over the next few months, you know, we sort of both recognized what we bring to the table together, collectively, individually, and in each, in each other. And that actually helped us solidify that decision to just move forward together. Yeah, I love that. Thank you. Could you switch gears a little bit and talk about your fund? So can you tell me a little bit about I2I Ventures and your thesis? Um, IDI Ventures is a targeted $15 million early stage venture capital fund. We invest in pre-seed and seed stage startups, generally technology enabled. But I think our thesis is that, you know, Pakistan being the fifth largest market in the world, it's also one of the last untapped emerging markets. And so for us, our thesis is, you know, as a country that is so large, but also has tremendous amount of opportunity, 
we really feel passionate about supporting really amazing, audacious founders that are solving some of Oxfam's biggest problems. And I think the problem part is really important to us because sometimes when a company comes to us and we don't feel that it's solving a problem, that's oftentimes why we pass and why we pass. And then even saying like audacious founders for us, you know, especially with me, with our sister company, having worked with founders now, you know, for a really long time, that's really important to us. Like we re- it really is a human element to it. And I think that's the first thing that we look at through the door. And then obviously, you know, what is it that they're, what is the problem that they're chewing on? And is it large enough to solve um, through the business that they're building? So I would say that the thesis we've done, um, we've, we have nine companies in our portfolio, actually growing quite fast. So we'll have more really shortly. And yeah, that's what we have so far as we're raising towards our final close. Okay. That was my next question. You're heading towards your final close. How many companies are you looking to invest into? You know, this is something that we've been uh, building as we're going along to a certain extent. And because we've learned so much in the last two years, we've also kind of been adjusting as we go along. So our goal is to look at between 15 and 20, probably we land somewhere around 17 or so uh, companies. And of course, also dig down into follow on rounds uh, with those companies. It, because we come in relatively early, we have that interesting vantage point where we can come in at pre-seed or street stage and then continue to invest for a few more rounds. And we do want to reserve some follow-on capital as well. So the idea is that we would start off at an early stage and then continue to work with the company until they get to that growth stage and potentially taper off after that from an investment perspective. So we'd go up to series A. So keeping that in mind, um, I mean, yeah, for us right now, we're looking at doing something like between 15 and 20 companies through this first fund. Fantastic. And what, what does the Pakistani startup market look like at the moment? So basically, just to give you a sense, um, Tanya, of how much things have taken off Mm. in the market. So in 2019, we did around $49 million in terms of startups that raised funding. In 2020, that was $65 million. And then in 2021, it was $350 million. So yeah, so (laughs) 5.5 times more. Um, there is a few reasons for that. One of them being honestly the pandemic. Um, and as much as obviously it's been, you know, a challenge everywhere in the world. Um, we just saw so many more international investors. I think also as like interest rates, infl- inflation, everything going up, a lot of in- investors in the US as well as elsewhere in the world in Europe started to look elsewhere in terms of what are the last markets that have not been tapped. And I think for Pakistan, kind of, you know, with the population itself, like 220 million people plus, right? And it's just a yeah. huge population with a increasingly large addressable market, right? It's just a very young population where smartphone penetration is increasing, where data packages are quite cheap. And so just starting to see like a very strong emerging consumer class as well. And so as that started to happen, we also started to see the, you know, sophisticated founders that started moving back home, people that were already at home that were older, had worked at other places, just launching companies, especially within, in all sorts of sectors, but e-commerce, fintech and, um, and logistics being the top three that raised investment last year. And obviously those kind of being, they feed off one another, right? As e-commerce yeah. takes off, then, you know, you need logistics, all of those things, FinTech plays into it. And then we also saw, a, you know, we have a, a political regime in Pakistan that's actually quite progressive right now, particularly at two of the regulatory bodies that really are game changers. So the Securities and Exchange Commission and the State Bank. And so 
as those barriers started to come down and Ms. Bo was on the working group for, for the state bank actually, right? Which was, so a lot of the changes were really pushed and advocated for by the private sector. So we started to see changes that allowed international investors to invest in a holding company versus investing directly into Pakistan. We saw, um, you know, license requirements change for the financial technology sector. So all of those things kind of all coming together is why we just saw just an enormous change in 2021. We saw, you know, for the first time, significant series B rounds and series A rounds. We saw deal sizes increasing. We also saw like, you know, as an example, just, you know, investors like Tiger Global investing in the market, uh, 20 BC, Harry Stebbings Fund, Buckley Ventures, uh, Kleiner Perkins. So we just saw like, you know, these, the caliber of very well-known international funds. So coming into the market. And so I think those are some of the reasons why we've seen everything take off. It's also the reason why at I Ventures, we did like six deals last year, whereas we did yeah. like one or two the year before, right? So we're, we also adjusted and increased our pace. We also, you know, we're firmly investing at seed before and are now doing a lot more deals at pre-seed as things are getting hotter and also wanting to be able to adjust our strategy increasingly to match what the realities are um, in the market. So it's, it's a really exciting time in Pakistan. Yeah. And kudos to you ladies for being there already, like um, mm-hmm. ahead of everyone else wanting to come and, um, and seeing Pakistan as a great opportunity. So huge kudos to you both. The Money Makers podcast is brought to you by Sophia, the place for women to learn, invest and change the world. Sophia is a learning platform providing much needed financial education for women and increasing diversity and inclusion in early stage investing. Go to sophiawomen.com to find out more. You talk about uh, solving some of the biggest problems. Obviously, that is the backbone of your thesis. And presumably there are a number of amazing, great companies that come your way. And if they're not solving, you know, what you consider to be one of Pakistan's biggest problems right now, that they don't fit your thesis. Um, So what are some of those problems that you are looking to address with I2I? Sure. Um, I think if we look at the portfolio uh, already, Sanya, we can give you a sense of where things are and, and that sort of is an indication of what we have liked. So we have three fintech investments in our portfolio, which are solving some big problems in Pakistan. We have a salary advance earned wage access company that is helping provide people access to their earned wages. Uh, we have invested in a digital ledger company focused on MSMEs, Abhi, and then Credit Book. And then we've also invested in Oran, which is a female first fintech, female founded as well, focused on bringing um, financial products and solutions to women who are severely underbanked in Pakistan. Uh, only 7% of women in Pakistan even have a basic bank account. And so what we like about these kinds of companies is that they're they're looking at providing a whole suite of financial services, but they're starting with one product where they really have gotten to know the customer and then are building from there. So they're essentially really building from customer insights rather than just setting up a neo bank. And, you know, if you build it, they will yeah. come kind of an approach. So we like it that they're actually tackling uh, big issues where, have, where there's big demand, like financial inclusion, like financial access in these cases, uh, even funding and credit for SME is very limited in Pakistan. And so building towards that is also a very important aspect. Another example of a company that we've invested in recently is a B2B agri marketplace called Taza, which means fresh. And they're looking at, you know, a $70 billion industry, which is severely, um, 
fragmented, severely inefficient, many different layers. And so looking to solve that problem. And similarly, we've invested in, invested in a trucking platform, which is looking to do something similar in the logistics space. Again, very fragmented, um, many different middlemen, uh, and therefore a lot of rent-seeking behavior. Um, and so these are things that are, these are, again, big problems. EdTech is another one. So our company, EdCasa, is actually focused on helping students with exam prep at a high school level which then definitely influences their uh, college admissions and their and their potential future going forward so these are some of the large uh, some of the companies that are focused on you know solving these problems again if you look at markets like pakistan which may be a little ahead of us fintech e-commerce pay- and fintech meaning payments and e-commerce and logistics are often the three areas which start picking up traction the first in early on and this is what we're seeing in pakistan as well so these again remain big uh, big opportunities to address and look into i think another opportunity which we haven't seen enough exciting opportunities is health tech and healthcare mm-hmm. and and that space as well as b2b maybe saas kind of structured companies which also we would like to continue to do more of uh, so these are some of the areas where we are already investing and those which we are looking to invest continue to invest in as well as looking at new areas Um, and if I could just add to that, just to the first part of our thesis around this, Tanya, because I think those are problems that are enormous and and big to solve. But I also think that the difference, because there's been a lot of companies that have come up over the years that have all tried to solve these problems. There are companies that are solving these problems that are competitors to the companies that we've invested in. So I think the differentiating factor really is the founders, right? Like I think we just have so much conviction in every single one of our founders that are trying to solve these problems. Because otherwise, like we would have just invested folk first on the opportunity, which is obviously big to solve. But because they're so complex, because they're so fragmented and they're so hard to do, it really boils down to the teams and their ability to execute, their ability to attract talent and future capital. I mean, all of those things are the things that we pay attention to. And that's what I would say is the through line amongst all of our companies. Yeah, I think it's so important, especially when, as you mentioned, Mesba, you starting to invest earlier and earlier. I think founder first is is super important. And that certainly served me well as an investor as well, um, investing into founders that have where you have that conviction. And it sounds like obviously that's a huge priority of yours. Yeah. Um, yeah, I wanted to switch gears into our final sort of segment of the show, which was really around where the place where the three of us came together, actually, which is um, in a sort of online network of female VCs and investors. And I really wanted to sort of pick your brains and, and discuss with you today where, you know, how the how you've seen the ecosystem change in particular, you know, specifically to female um, VCs, female investors. There's a lot online around a number of female investors, you know, a lack thereof. And have you noticed any changes over the years in, in these groups that perhaps you've been part of for longer period than I have, you know, in terms of volumes um, and, and decision makers in these roles? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, Tanya, there's there's a lot of good movement in this space. I think it speaks to the broader democratization of VC as an industry. Yeah. It's happening, um, you know, across the board, not just for with female um, founders and female investors, but also other diverse, you know, other diversity uh, points as well. 
whether it's gender or um, or you know ethnicity or background, you know privilege or access or class. So I think that's that's definitely needed. Not nearly moving as fast as we would like it to, but I think there's definitely been an uh, an increase in the number of diverse founders in terms of women investors that are coming in. And I think it's also something that speaks to what you see as role models, right? The more women you see, the more will opt in. In Pakistan, there are very few women in the in the VC space, and Kulsum and I keep hoping that that's going to change soon. And if 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 there's anything that we can do to play a role, we'd be more than happy to do that. So similarly, I think through our community, you know, what we've seen internationally is that there's a real support system for emerging managers where they're supporting each other, where also more experienced managers are coming in and saying, hey, how can I help you yeah. understand and not make the kind of mistakes that I have made? I mean, Kusum and I have learned so much in these last two years of in our journey and and we keep wanting to give back because like, we don't want anybody else to make those kind of um, you know mistakes or or at least have better uh, insights into what they could be doing and, and different options available. And we've received that from others as well. And I think we should, you know we that's why we want to pay it forward. So I think those kind that kind of community interest and community support is very important. Um, and you know the transact community, which we are all part of, has been instrumental for Kusum and me, not just from a support system and just having you know a, a sounding board, but from actual practical suggestions, advice, preferences yeah. uh, that have helped us as we've built the fund. Uh, and I think we need, we will see more of this as, as we grow. I think, you know, obviously social media and like opening up of experiences has really helped people learn from each other uh, a lot more. I think in some ways COVID, as, as awful as it has been, uh, has actually helped people become a lot more comfortable building relationships online instead of yeah. actually meeting in person. And that what that's also meant is that information sharing has become a lot easier across borders, mm. across different markets as well. And definitely emerging managers are sort of uh, gaining from that. I think the last thing I would say that is there is that as the VC industry is continuing to evolve for the better, I think people are recognizing that, you know, your typical investor doesn't look like it does not have one profile, does not come from one background. And also the way you invest is also opening up. So, you know, we're seeing rolling funds, we're seeing many more angel syndicates, we're seeing, you know, late stage VCs come into early stage, we're seeing people think out of the box in terms of how they're structuring their entities or their funds, or if funds, if at all, they're doing through a fund. So I think those kind of new interesting opportunities to structure how we invest will continue to democratize this space. Uh, and we definitely hope that it's going to have a positive impact from the gender side as well. Yeah, I agree with you. I think the Transact group, which is the group we met in, has been probably one of the best groups I've ever joined. Um, it's just super supportive. Um, everyone's got each other's back and I've learned so much from that and paying it forward, I think, is the mm. definitely the motto that goes with that group. Yeah. And there's such a, I, I actually would love, I, I would do it, honestly, I would love to do a case study on this group because mm. there's a really great, I've been a community builder. I mean, generally that that's, you know, I would say my best skill size facilitation and community building. And I've been part of a number of communities in my adult life. And the fact that Transact, it's mostly exists on WhatsApp yeah. and there's no orientation when you join, right? There's no like, here are the rules. And there's a friend of mine wrote this book, Priya Parker wrote this book called The Art of Gathering. And it talks about like, you know, this idea of like how we gather, how we come together and to me, this is such an amazing case study of how things are so implicitly there that like, there's nothing that was told to us ever. I've never been policed on transact, really. I've never been told like, these are the rules. And yet all of us are bought into this culture of paying it forward, of supporting one another, that everyone, regardless if you are on fund three or fund one, 
has a role to play to support. Right. And I just think it's, it's kind of very, you were saying that as well, Tanya, I feel the same way. It is by far one of the best communities I've ever been part of that solely exists on WhatsApp, which I find incredible because I don't find WhatsApp generally to be the best form of communication. Right. And yet we have forged deep community with these women, some of most of whom we've never met in person before. Right. So I do genuinely think that it's something that is, is very singular in how they're building and how we are building. Right. I think that the we versus they sound is actually the key part of it. We all feel very invested in this. Yeah. Yeah. I think having said that, and I would totally underscore everything Kusum said, but to add to it, I feel like there hasn't been policing, but there has been gentle nudging. There has, they're still organized. There's a regular update in terms of, you know, uh, things that have been discussed on the group. There's a distilling of information that is shared on email on a regular basis, which where you can always go back and refer to, uh, you know, aside from the, just the WhatsApp, the sessions that have been super helpful where people have been asked to come in and, you know, and within a circle of trust, really people open up. Um, And so to Kaz's point, that's the best part of community, right? Is where you feel that trust and are able to open up, uh, not feel judged and yet actually get more than just uh, emotional support. Yeah. And I wonder if one of my last questions to you is around, um, you know, being two female GPs, especially in in a a market like Pakistan. I mean, you're a very rare GP team, um, even in, you know, even more sophisticated VC um, markets as as female um, GPs. That's it's not particularly common and the world needs more diverse fund managers. Um, but I think there are some challenges around creating more diverse fund managers. And, and I think perhaps that's one of the reasons why the Transact Group is so gelled together because those challenges are all shared. And whether you're on fund one to fund three, whether you're in right. Silicon Valley, New York, Pakistan, Singapore, where I am, those challenges are actually universal. And mm-hmm. I think that there's that commonality, I think, um, that brings us all together. And to that point, you know, what are some of the biggest challenges you see in creating more diverse fund managers in the world? Um, that's a great question. I think, you know, one thing that I think is important, and this is something that I feel like there was like a whole Twitter debate happening this past week. There's been a lot on Twitter. Mm -hmm. VC Twitter has like been very active (laughs) the past month. Um, But, you know, one thing that I do think is, is interesting and important is that, you know, a lot of really great fund managers that are coming up these days have been operators, right. And have launching operator funds. And I think that's the thing. It's like, there's just, we need more, we need to be supporting if women are operators and wanting to launch funds, if, if they are people of color or diverse in some way, how can we enable that of like, you know, giving them initial support when they're launching things? I do think that there's so much privilege baked into building a fund. And Ms. Fun, I did not really have that coming into this, right? Mm-hmm. In terms of, you know, we didn't have our family giving us like millions of dollars to launch <laughs> a fund. We were starting at like zero. Um, and I think that's a big thing, right? Is that a lot of diverse, like black and people of color fund managers, they don't have that safety net. You know, even when we think about the 1% GP, which has been a debate on in a lot of these forums and on Twitter as well, it's like, should should we also commit to that? If like 1% is something that's just not doable, that automatically creates a barrier to entry, right? For a lot of people, especially yeah. people of color um, that want to launch funds. And I think that we've seen so many incredible people that have been building in public that I think that 
we've had so much privilege in being able to see that. So we've seen their struggles with that up close. And I think that's incredible. So I think that's the issue, right? Is that there's just, there's so many barriers to launching a fund. I think there's also this idea for women too, as Ms. Ba mentioned, oftentimes we don't self-select into being investors. And I know you've done, Tanya, a lot of work on training um, people to become angel investors. It's You have to put it in. I had, Someone had to put it in my head. I never I never put my hat, hat in the ring of being an investor. Like I just always thought like, oh, I'm just supposed to be an enabler here. Yeah. Um, it took other people doing that, right? And so thinking about the mentorship angle of things as well, I think is super important in terms of how do we how do we enable people, but also give them the... I guess the audacity to believe that they could do it is is such a soft form of mentorship as well. And so we've been really lucky that not only have we had a community like Transact, we've also had um, friends of ours that have been like more experienced fund managers that have been helping us along the way. We've had, you know, one of my mentors who's an investor, but way before I started the fund has just been like one of our biggest champions. Any question that I've ever asked him, even if it's like 10 PM at night, he'll thoughtfully think back on, send me an email on. And so I think that's really important is thinking about the mentor community that surrounds this, thinking about how we lower the barriers to entry. Yeah. I don't know, Ms. Buffy wanted to add to that, but those are some of the things that I chew on. Yeah, I think in terms of lowering barriers to entry and access, I think finance, it just ends up becoming such a such a big uh, hurdle there that that is really important to address. I think within that also what I was talking about earlier in terms of other structures of investing is something yeah. that I, I hope that as those become more prevalent, people find ways to, to start doing that without needing to commit a large fund, a uh, large amount of funding, you know, from themselves and completely acknowledge uh, what Kusum was saying in terms of the privilege of being able to, you know, even survive as you build a fund, if you don't have access to funding. I think for emerging managers and first time fund managers, there's so much that you have to prove out there. Uh, I think it's unfair that you would have to self-sacrifice even on like, you know, being able to pay the bills. <laughs> so yeah. it is, it is one of those things where I do hope that there's there's more that comes in. Uh, we're starting to see a little bit more support as well in terms of, you know, funds of funds looking more at diversity, at first-time fund managers. I do think there's a long way to go there because a lot of them will say they want to do first-time funds, but then they put a ticket, minimum ticket of like a 50 million fund. And like a lot of our first-time funds I are not know. that small. Um, and a lot of you know first-time fund managers have not been GPs uh, or LPs, yeah. excuse me, sorry, GPs or other uh, at other funds or have not had the exposure to other funds. So, so I think there's all of that kind of that comes into it, where you know we need we those are some of the things which you need to change going forward, so that more women, more diverse people, people of color, different ethnicities, different economic backgrounds can actually come in because. As we know, as we've seen, um, the the more diversity there is in pers- in experience and perspective, the more likely you are to do well. And also, the more diverse we have from a funding perspective, the more likely that capital will move to more in more equitable ways to other people who are more diverse. So, yeah. I think that's really important as well as, as why we need diverse fund managers to begin with. Yeah, absolutely. And let's not forget that first time funds actually are more profitable than later than the, those that are doing second, third, fourth funds. So because I assume it's because those running first time funds are so nervous and that they're being <laughs> extra cautious and they're making, you know, being extra vigilant with their decision making and risk management um, and management of their portfolio. So actually first time funds are a great 
that um, yeah. investment. I'd also say that we're hungrier, right? Yeah. I oh, mean, I, sure. hopefully we'll still be hungry at fund two and fund three, but I think at fund one, there's just so much to prove. Um, one of our LPs said that to us, right? He's like, you guys just really feel like you have something to prove. I'm like, of course we do. Like, yeah. look at us. <laughs> women raising our first time fund for Pakistan. We have so much to prove. And so I think that in itself is, is a reason why, you know, hopefully we'll be successful and, and we'll hopefully fund one will be the one that hits it out of the park. We hope. I have no doubt, no doubt at all. It's been amazing talking to you ladies. Thank you again so much for coming on. I was super excited to have you both on um, and we've been chatting about this for so long and I had a list of questions. I probably have about 20 more. Um, so once it would be great to have you on again, perhaps after the close of, of this fund and perhaps when you're on the start of the second fund, um, which I'm sure is going to be huge um, and coming so, very, very soon. So thank you so much, ladies, again. Great to talk to you. Thanks Love so much, Tanya. You thank you so you. much. All the best. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Money Makers podcast presented by Sophia, the learning platform for women that increases diversity in early stage investing. Visit sophiawomen.com to learn, invest and change the world.